Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke to Bradley Garrett. Bradley is a social geographer, explorer and photographer. He's author of Bunker, Building for the End of Times and Explore Everything, Place Hacking the City. He's brilliant. I had a wonderful conversation with him. I learned a whole bunch. In this bit of the conversation, what did we talk about, Jen? Um, <laughs> that people are looking forward to the apocalypse. People are looking forward to it. They'll feel a sense of purpose. Bring it on. They'll feel a bit of purpose. <laughs> okay, let's do that then. Have a listen to it. Tell us what you think. If you like it, perhaps you'll consider coming over to Luminary where you can listen to every episode of Under the Skin, my other podcast, Above the Noise. Also, Dave Chappelle's brilliant podcast, Midnight Miracle. So, uh, and a whole bunch of stuff on there. It's fantastic. So, this is an extract from my conversation with Bradley Garrett. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful route. Yes, that, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. It's interesting what you're saying. Everything you're saying is I've already got so many questions. One is that you could assume that the function of a culture might be to help us deal with truth, to present us with truths and help us to process them culturally and perhaps presumably as a result of that term, communally. But it seems that actually the way our culture functions is to distract you from truth, to prevent you from realising truth, for example, around mortality, the hopelessness of aspirations that, that you're attempting to resolve through you know, self-beautification and acquisition and stuff like that. Culture can't ever allow you to arrive there, at that kind of despair that often arrives when people have a personal crisis you know people on their deathbed aren't saying i wish i'd spent more time acquiring goods people aren't having near-death experiences where they realize that they should have spent more money on sort of face cream or whatever you know like what we're mostly realizing is that truth is something that's being somewhat concealed from us that cold war thing too mate that you said about i remember like i grew up a I reckon I'm probably a couple of years older than you, that's my guess. And like, I, I grew up at a time where like, the, the, that was still a reality, you know, learning about like the nuclear, like like the potential of nu nuclear Armageddon. And someone once said to me, in a sense, what does it matter if there's an, uh, 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 an apocalypse? Because there is for each of us anyway. Whether, like, why does it seem to have more impact on you as an individual, knowing that what you're f confronted is sort of a global annihilation rather than... <clears throat> local or personal annihilation what's the sort of difference there and the other thing that sort of struck me is when you said about like you know about reality that sometimes when i was younger and i would think about violence that somehow like a violent confrontation strips away all of the various edifices that we voluntarily or otherwise live behind and like if someone says i'm going to kill you or punches you in the face like now you are like, oh, fuck, yeah, stuff like that can just happen. Like it doesn't matter that I've yeah. learned these things, you know, where is it now? Yeah, you're exactly right. And and the the doomsday preppers or survivalists that I've been spending years living with have, you know, they, they explained to me that in some sense they were looking forward to a disaster <clears throat> because it ruptures the illusion. Um, the bunker... You know, whether you think about that as a physical space or a kind of metaphor, um, is is a, is a space for recreation. It's a space of rebirth, essentially, right? I mean, if you if you don't emerge from the bunker, it's a tomb. Uh, so, so the so the bunker um, 
uh, is a space of rebirth, but it's also a space of control. And because so many aspects of our lives now are not within our control, I think that that's something that people seek. You know, they, they, they want to create a space where they know they can control the parameters of their existence. And that moment of being in the bunker, uh, you know, surrounded by the things that you've put together, uh, self-sufficient, cut off from the world, is precisely akin to that moment of violence that, that you're describing, right? It's, it's a moment of radical confrontation, with our existence, you know, that where, where the veneer has been stripped away and, and we're back to the basics. And I think, you know, a lot of us crave that on some level also because, you know, society and civilization originally was built upon a premise of, of mutual understanding, of cooperation, of human connection, connection with the natural world, right? And that now has been occluded, by these these social, economic, and political structures that um, are are fundamentally unsatisfying on some level, and so what many of the preppers told me was that the disaster is a moment for rebirth, for recreation, for reconnection, um, and so I mean, strangely, there is an anxiety there underlying things, but there's also a hopefulness that when the disaster comes, it's, it's a moment for us to confront ourselves and potentially to rebuild the world. And this is a perfect moment to be talking to you because, you know, we're in that moment now. I mean, we, we have an opportunity to reshape things after going through a global disaster that's killed, what, almost 4 million people now. Um, we have a moment to uh, build a different kind of world. Whether we're going to rise up to that challenge, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Um, but it's certainly a time of, of change, and that's exactly what these preppers had been telling me uh, long before the pandemic had hit. Cool. A few things there, Bradley. One, like the cave, the bunker, you know, I think of Christ, you know, and like yes. the moment in the cave, that's so cool. That Like that's a moment before rebirth. And I also think of the Kali energy in Hinduism, like the, the destroyer, that things have to be destroyed that we may be reborn. reborn. And of course, most m myths have that idea in, in agriculture itself requires a kind of death and burial for new crops to grow and stuff. Um, mate, this idea, that is are survivalists a homogenous sort of group or is there a lot of variety? Because when you just said that thing about the 4 million death, my assumption, this is my assumption about survivalists and obviously I don't know anything like as much as you do. I only know what I've seen on documentaries and stuff. Like um, my assumption would be that survivalists are sort of libertarian, right wing, anti-state, anti-government, part of the route being kind of like, a, you know, the King of England could come over here at any moment. <laughs> we best tool up and get, get ready. And that they would therefore be kind of anti-vaccine, would think that the pandemic was, has been exaggerated, mobilised, misused and that that you know that its risks have been you know um, I don't know exaggerated or whatever. Um, uh, where am I wrong with my assumptions there on the survivalists? Well, so there's a few things. Um, one is you're not wrong. There, those people do exist, <laughs> um, and there's not. You know, it's a bit of a misnomer to describe this as a community of people. <laughs> you know, this is. I mean, there are people from. Um, a full political spectrum that are ending up in these communities or adopting these practices. Uh, there's some great research uh, that came out of Queens College. Anna Maria Bounds worked with uh, inner city 
preppers in New York City, many of whom are black, and who said, you know, we grew up in essentially a constant state of emergency, um, dealing with crisis on a daily basis. And so they're, they're prepping so that they don't have to go through something like that again. Um, many of the communities that I went to, and now here I'm using community in the sense that, you know, a, a, a group of people who have moved into a set of bunkers in a place, we can talk about the, the bunkers themselves, um, but many of those people came from drastically different backgrounds, um, uh, both vocationally and in terms of their demographics, politically across the spectrum. And what was fascinating to me is that uh, they were able to communicate around these shared methodologies, right? So, so you start you start with the thought experiment. If this happens, then what would I do, right? And then and then you start putting the preparations, the material preparations, in place, the emotional, psychological preparations in place to be able to deal with those scenarios. So uh, the the preppers that I worked with were able to sort of bypass their differences because they were they were trying to work through these problems, these thought experiments on a on a uh, you know uh, cooperative basis, and often that meant building complementary skills uh, so that they could see each other through a disaster. They they call these mutual assistance groups. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, again, there's a lot, there's a lot there to unpack, but <clears throat> the, uh, the community is sort of wider and more diverse than you might expect. And I'll tell you now that, um, recent research has indicated that just in the United States alone, 13, almost 13 million people are prepared to go for 30 days without, uh, any sort of infrastructure, food, water, power, grocery stores. That's an incredible statistic. I mean, it's almost one percent of the population is prepared uh, to weather thirty days on their own. So that gives you a sense of how many people are involved and how many different sorts of people are involved in the practice. That's so cool, Bradley. One thing is, like, from the first part, of what you're saying, it's like that abstract ideals about you know your cultural values around what we once would have regarded as the left and the right are irrelevant if you're involved in the project of building a community that survives that the culture that consists of those kind of debates uh, you know my my view is kind of a distraction from important stuff um and two like one percent of the population that's enough to overthrow the government you know like uh like if it was the right one percent you know if you if you can if you can mobilize protest uh, civil disobedience a sort of you know i guess you'd need some strategy and some cohesion but like that's a significant number you know that's an impactful number I hope you enjoyed that. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all my weekly Under the Skin podcasts, all you have to do is subscribe to Luminary on Apple Podcasts or download the Luminary app. Also, I have a brand new meditation podcast called Above the Noise, which is out now. I'll be releasing a new guided meditation every Wednesday. It's not available in all markets. It is subject to local currency.